HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Available seasonally at select Whole Foods markets. Learn more at hearstranch.com. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. It's our 14th year, and welcome to our Heritage Radio Network.org. I'd like to introduce the guests. Hey, my name is Michael Friesholm. I'm a chocolate maker. My name is Nita. I'm a chocolate lover. <laughs> and I'm a chocolate eater. Um, this has been pretty cool. I got, I got the chance to take a, a trip out to Copenhagen to visit my daughter, and along the way, we're recording a few radio shows. And, and Neta has uh, courteously introduced us to, to a few people. Um, we'll be, have a few shows dropping um, this winter. So we're going to start with, with uh, Miguel. And uh, Miguel, start by telling us your background, chef. You worked in bakeries, how you got, got involved in this, and also how you met Neta, because she has a great story about it. Um, well, I, I'm a chef originally, uh, trained, classically trained here in, in Copenhagen, and I worked as a chef and had my own restaurant until 2003. But during my chefing days, when I had a restaurant, I, I also had my first review that said I did California cooking. I had no idea what it was, so I decided to go to, to California and San Francisco to find out what it was all about. Um, and apart from working at some really fantastic places, Rubicon, Chez Panisse, and, and Citizen Cake, which is where the chocolate story starts, um, I met the Scharfenberger chocolate people. When, when they started their chocolate factory, I was, I was in, in San Francisco just two months after they opened the factory, and, and I really fell into the chocolate uh, at that time. That's great. And one more time, say your name, please. My name is Mikkel Frieson. And uh, Nita, just tell us how you met Miguel and, and why, we're, why you wanted me to meet him. 
I think we just talked about it. I think we met um, in uh, the slow food movement. That was uh, the start. And and the reason why I think you should meet Mikkel is because of the whole ethics uh, behind his uh, way of producing chocolate. I really, it gives the chocolate a special taste and, and uh, I, I would like you to tell about it because that's a special story. Yeah. And just as an intro, uh, we drove out in the country uh, maybe 40 minutes from Copenhagen. This is rolling countryside. There's these beautiful little homes that are the old Danish look and farms and fields. And, and uh, it feels like this is a place to make food and it resonates. But there's a lot, there's a lot more story to this, which is why I'm here. Um, you never quite understand what it takes to get good chocolate. And uh, Mikkel gave us a tour and he's going to tell us about it. So let's start with this bean to bar thing and the, the work that you've done in Nicaragua, how you got involved in that, because this isn't just about you buying sugar and ingredients and, and making a, a flavorful chocolate. No, it's, it's for, for me, it's, it's about understanding and working with the whole chain, the raw material and the finish, to the finished product. And, and I think just, you know, for me, when I, when I met chocolate, the way I work with it now was when I met Schaffenberger uh, back in, in, in the late 90s in, in San Francisco. was suddenly a, a totally new understanding of what cacao and chocolate could be because before that it was it was not really something that I liked a lot. I thought it was the dark chocolate was too bitter and there's all kind of stuff that I didn't like about it. And, and then suddenly this thing opened itself in front of me and I thought that's really interesting. I want to work with that. And I started by importing the Schaffenberger chocolate to Europe and doing this alongside having a restaurant and later a bakery and, and what, what I did on, along the way to, to getting my chocolate factory. But, but for the last 20 years, it was my, my ambition to get a chocolate factory and, and, and I succeeded with, uh, with, with getting one uh, for real about nine years ago. So. And then uh, the whole thing with Nicaragua, this, you, you, you were involved in creating this whole process and walk us through that, please. Yeah. The thing is most, most, People who make chocolate, they start with getting beans from somewhere and then they, they run it on a machine and then they have chocolate from, from this place. And I think for me, and, and also the same way I worked when I was a chef and had my baker, was, was seeking out the ingredients in a different way and trying to understand the ingredients and the process in terms of, of making a better product. You know, all products are about two things. If you want to make great products, it's about the best raw material and it's about the best process. It's, it's not about secret recipes or anything. It's, it's about making the, the, the best raw material and the best uh, process in how you do these things. Nicaragua was a chance for me to work, before making chocolate, work with, uh, with trees and genetics, varieties, and the whole fermentation thing that happens uh, from the way from, from the fresh uh, part being harvested on the cacao tree until it's a dried bean that's transported to me uh, where I start by roasting in the factory. So there's a whole thing that... Almost no one knew nothing about fermentation, drying, and 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 what genetics are we using? Because when we when we work with a specific potato for making French fries, we know that if we get this variety, the Estima, for example, here in, in, in Europe, that's the, that's a good potato for French fries. Mm -hmm. uh, you will get it crisp on the outside and soft in the middle. This is the way you want it. If you work with other f different potatoes, they will be soggy. Uh, so, and for me, all raw materials for making food has the same thing inside them. And I got a chance to work with the, 
with the beans, with the cacao trees, and, and we created six new varieties, six new clones, which we had a lot of farmers in Nicaragua planned out. And at the same time, Danish government supported project, the Nicaraguan uh, partner created uh, the logistics that you have around it, a dairy and a farmer with milk cows. Uh, so the farmer produces the raw material, which is then fermented and, and taken care of at, at, the, at the dairy. So that, the same equivalent of that, just with cacao. And this has given me the most consistent cacao in the world. And, and at the same time, we thought we were building like a really good Mercedes. We actually built a Ferrari. <laughs> so, so that was kind of the, the luck of, 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 of what we did. Nita, um, just tell us about when you first met him, some of the experiences you've had, you know, chefs you've introduced him to, collaborations that, that you've seen. First of all, I think we had a tasting and Mikkel taught me how to taste dif differences in a piece of chocolate. That dark chocolate is not just dark chocolate. There's different kinds of dark chocolate. It's not just about the percentage, uh, if it's 70 or 80%. It's, there are so many differences that you have to learn, like you have to learn to taste an apple, for instance, uh, and, or wine. So that was uh, that was an opening. Uh, of your eyes, yeah. yeah. I think most people. I'm sorry to interrupt. Is, no, is they have they have chocolate as three colors. There is like there is a dark and there's a light slash milk and there's a white chocolate. And so so the chocolate does not have a flavor or a provenance. It just have a color. Yeah. It, it's actually a container for containing something else. It's mm -hmm. not raw material on its own. And that's such a shame because you have the exact same possibilities with cacao and chocolate as you would have with beer or wine. So, so there's a lot of stuff to be explored. And the thing it's like that is because chocolate is it's a new invention. The way we we have it today, modern, for the last 150 years or so, is that chocolate was invented because of industrialism and and, and machines coming into it. And and from the beginning, this was a product for the mass market, for, for the growing middle class that came out there. And it's kind of just, you know, followed that tra tra trajectory since. And at no point did anyone stop and say, let's let's see what is possible with, it, with this raw material and in making the chocolate. So the golden age, you know, where we make the Grand Cruise, where we find out how this beer can be made with a different yeast, blah, blah, blah. That's taking place right now. It's, it's not something that took place before. It's right now that, that a lot of people around the world are working with cacao and chocolate in a, in a totally different way to improve the raw material and the, the, the product. And that's great fun to be part of. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and as you, uh, first thing I did was get a tour here. So it, probably the best way to talk about how consumers view chocolate is to start with your tasting room. So when I walk in here, um, th there's chocolate out. And what is the chocolate that, that's in the, the first taste that the, the consumer gets? Mm -hmm. Chocolate I have right now, right uh, at, at, at the entrance, is, is uh, it, it changes. But right now I have a dark chocolate, uh, organic Nicaraguan cacao um, from from a small uh, cooperative inside the largest biosphere in, in Central America, Posadas National Park, and and this is a very fruity, slightly citrusy cacao. So it's really a light, a light chocolate. And a lot of people say, whoa, wow, this is totally different because normally dark chocolates are bitter and fatty and, 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 and can be slightly cloying, where this one is, is, is a totally different experience. And then when, when you're working with your the bean, mm -hmm. is that the proper term to start with the bean? Yeah, when you the, work with bean, yeah. How long 
does it take you before you know what's the best use of that bean? Well, there we, we have a process and a, and, a, and, a, and a method here which is, is done with variations on, on all our chocolates. Uh, we want a very fine texture on our chocolate. We want a, a, the best milk possible. We want to, to keep all the good stuff which is inside the raw material that we get, so we don't work the chocolate too hot. We try to work it a lot colder than, than other chocolate factories. We have machinery, machinery that can achieve this for us, not just hoping that we can tweak the machine to do it, but we actually have large machines that, that does this work for us. I mean, chocolate would never have been popular if it was something we are doing in a mortar by hand for three days, and it would still be grainy and bitter. And I mean, there, there is a reason why chocolate is like it is. And it, as you walk this, we got a great tour of the entire factory, and it's a small factory. It's a very small factory. But as as we as we walked, it, you made a point of saying that the industrial revolution mattered. But there's also time and temp involved, and you're not you're not doing this in an hour and pressing a button. No, no. I mean, we we each step of making the chocolate is separated either by a room or by a machine and we hand carry the stuff between it so we all the time get the feel of the product as it as it develops um it's not a big chocolate factory if you ever go to one they're properly closed for the public is is you, you put the beans in at one end and then you don't see anything and it's not touched by human hand until it comes out packaged at the other end about four or eight hours later and, and, and we use about seven to eight days before our chocolate has finished this journey. And and each step is being done 100% or 100% the way I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's not necessarily people agree with how I do it, but that's, you know, any chef will say the same about how he cooks the steak and the next chef will do it slightly different because that's how he likes it. We do the chocolate the way I like it, and 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 each step is designed to to uh, to get that. There's a lot of steps, you know, roasting, winnowing, getting the shell off the cacao beans, so we have the cacao nibs for refining, refining the nibs and mixing it with sugar, then putting it into the cartons for conching. When we finish conching, the chocolate is basically finished, but we still need to to crystallize to temper it. So we can have it in solid form as a bar. And so there's tempering, there's molding, there's cooling, and there's packaging. And each of these steps is done by people handling machines that can do this 100%. I mean, where we make the chocolate, the refining and the conching, that's a 100-year-old process. And one of my machines is more than 100 years old. The old conch is all working down there today. Uh, whereas when I go to the tempering and, and all that stuff, we use space age modern machines as modern as we can get them because they're just much better than, than what you could get 50 years ago. So, you know, it's always choosing your material, getting the right knife for cutting the steak. Eh? A little machine in history. So this conching machine that you have, who invented it? A little backstory. Um, the conching machine and the conching of chocolate, which is basically stirring and, and, and emulsifying it, uh, was invented by Lind in 1879, so a little bit more than 140 years ago. And this is the last process in, in modern chocolate making that was invented. And, and everybody has done it in some form since since then. Um, and we use a machine exactly the same as the one Lind invented. Um, and it's from 1910, 1920, something like that, the one we have. We don't know exactly because the lids is normally printed and the lids are new. So we don't we don't have the exact age of it, but we found bronze fittings inside and you stopped using that before First World War. So, so it's, a, it's a kind of a, 
we know it's old. I know it was running in the Dominican Republic before uh, before running at my place. I, it was bought by one of my American friends in Utah, chocolate maker called Art Pollard, who has a mound of chocolate. He decided he was not going to use it, so I bought it from him, and then I refurbished it when it arrived here. So, so it's it's you know it's a it was probably the last used one in the world I bought because I haven't seen anyone for sale since. <laughs> you, you mentioned the chocolate maker in Utah. Who who else is 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 making chocolate in a way that you approve of? Close to New York. Um, a shout out to Brian Graham and Delia that have fruition chocolate in the Catskills. I think they make just such wonderful product and being wonderful people at the same time. So for, for me, that counts. That counts very high on my list, but their chocolate and, and, and arts from Amano in, in Utah is one of the five chocolate brands in the world I will actually pay for. Somer in Canada is very nice too. Yeah. Neda, in, in your life as a chef, do, do you come across any of these, these approved chocolate brands? Oh, and I'm not a chef, <laughs> I'm just a housewife, but uh, um, no, I never heard of them. I well, I'm 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 not a well. I don't eat much sweets, but when I've met uh, Maker's Chocolate, then I started to eat chocolate. I think because uh, yeah, because you taught me how to eat it. Um, but it's a totally different experience yeah. having my chocolate than a, a supermarket brand chocolate. Yeah. Uh, listen, supermarket dark chocolate is horrible, horrible stuff. That's just how it's so. It, it, I came here not having lunch, and I was thinking that that I would eat eat chocolate for lunch. Is that appropriate? Uh, definitely appropriate. I mean, you have all the it's it's super high energy content and 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 it's almost a vegetable. So, so I mean, basically you're getting all the things. I think chocolate is supposed to be dark chocolate is supposed to be one of those things that if you can only eat that, you would still survive for a very very long time because there are so many vitamins and fatty acids and stuff in it that will keep you going. So chocolate is one of those wonder things. Yeah, apart from a little bit of a theobromine, which is an amphetamine kind of. Uh, Thingy, which is uh, legal in chocolate. So let's talk them through again. Your your tasting room. So I came in. I had the the, the bar, and then what what else do you offer people when they when they come in for a tour? If I if I do a tour, I will usually uh, taste different chocolates. We're gonna do that afterwards. I have uh, two of the chocolates I made, which are made from single varietals, but with different fermentations of the of the beans after harvest. So you can actually taste what the process. Dust, just like when you make beer, you have different way of cooking or different way of adding the hops or which hops are you adding. You can make different beers uh, that are the same style, but still have all the interest is in creating these different types of products and, and understanding the process. I would usually take them past our lab where we where we do the filled chocolates and especially like our liquor and alcohol filled chocolates, like you had the, the whiskey with Downing whiskey. Um, smoke whiskey inside a, a dark chocolate and most people say that cannot be done and I think ours is it's a real whiskey piece it's for grown-ups and, and the same with the cherry piece um, I, I had the smoked whiskey filled and I I feel like I I'm on my way towards having a good lunch <laughs> See, that's that's all you want yeah um, so we do this and this is there is there is you know chocolate is there's the bean to bar movement, which has been running for the last 20, 25 years, very slowly in the beginning, but the last 10, 12 years, very fast. Um, lots of people around the world popping up and trying to make chocolate on different types of machinery. Uh, but starting 12 years before that, and Schaffenberg being one of the first four new ones in the world for a very, very long time, the first one in the States anyway, more than 50 years when they started in 97, 98, something like that. 
And and I think that's that's one, you know, chocolate being the laugh of all these things. So we eat for enjoyment or drink for enjoyment. You had beer, you have coffee, you have uh, single malt whiskeys and rums, which used to be like basic supermarket stuff or liquor store stuff to get drunk. Today you can get 23-year-old rum and you can get single malt from the Pacific uh, mm-hmm. distillery. You can get coffee roasted by this and this place. La Capra in Denmark is also in New York. You have Coffee Collective, which I work with here in Copenhagen, and, and roast and all these different small roasters. That are yeah, all the, the Cabra's going nuts in New York. I, I always have the cardamom bonds and coffee. <laughs> which they copied shamelessly from Juno here in Copenhagen, but everybody in Copenhagen is doing that exact cardamom bomb after Juno made it popular. So it's it's kind of a new thing, not a traditional anything. It started five years ago, so it's, you could say a modern classic. And and it's great. I'll I'll buy it too. I love it. Let's talk about collaborations. Um, first with beer. Tell us about the brewery that's that you share the property with. We have Hasler Brewery right next to us. Uh, one of the first uh, craft breweries in Denmark, uh, and they they make really excellent beers, organic, all of it. Grow their own barley and grain on the fields next to us here. Um, everything is organic. They have an old-fashioned process, doing things really meticulously and great. And, and, and normally, I say they're not very inventive, and then they are anyway because they also make sour beers, you know, with spontaneous uh, uh, yeasting, and and they have uh, all kinds of fun. They make an asparagus beer and all kinds of funny stuff. But but basically, they they are just really good at what they do. And they they started on the farm next to us here. They they owned the chocolate factory housing. We we rented from them. They made it for us, and we rented from them. So they're also our landlords, and we do lots of collab- collabs with them, apart from markets and and, and all that stuff. Uh, so so for that collab, um, I, I've cooked with chocolate years ago. Your typical dark chalk cooking chocolate, throw some into a chili or something. Uh, how is it different working with a brewer, and and what do they? What what do they use that that's from from your process that that might help one of their beers get better? Well, right now they 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 make an imperial stout um, with our nibs, cacao nibs, and and the shells from the from the beans, uh, which they use both in cooking and afterwards when they get the flavor out of of, of the nibs. Um, they made a really great imperial stout stout type uh, beer with that, quite kind of traditional in cacao world. Uh, and be a world to do to do that, um, and, I, and I tried to return the favor and do full filled chocolate with, with beer, which is probably my biggest mistake <laughs> <laughs> because you can't really put beer inside chocolate. So we ended up being inspired by four of the beers from our neighbor, <laughs> so we get the flavoring and the hops and, and and that stuff, and then put it into chocolate. But but pouring beer into chocolate is not really feasible. But why is it not? But you can fill it with whiskey. Well, the thing is, beer is really thin <laughs> and it doesn't have a lot of flavor to it. I know this might touch a few people the wrong way, but beer is great when, when it's a hot summer day or you just want something to drink. So it's something that you drink also to, to have your thirst quenched. Um, and and everything in beer, flavor-wise, disappears if it's heated over 45 degrees, then it's, it's, it's flat. And then when you make a chocolate, it's the other way around. It's super, it's it's fat, it's dry stuff. You cannot put water in, in, into chocolate without without uh, the chocolate having like one day shelf life. It's like uh, putting cream outside the fridge. It'll go sour. 
uh, and you'll have all kinds of bacteria being able to grow and stuff like that. So, so putting water, which which is what beer basically is, with flavor, uh, into a chocolate is not really feasible. I'm working on it though. I have a have theories. <laughs> I know you. I know you'll come up with something. And just to finish off, putting nibs and and the husks in in the beer. What does the the what are the nibs impart to that imperial style? They impart minerality and the cacao flavor. Definitely, definitely. There, there is in, in in good cacao. You have a lot of cacao and minerality, perhaps a little acidity, which will go straight into the beer. Um, you don't want the sweet cloying stuff. And if you have a chocolate beer that tastes sweet, it's probably because they just used the used the flavoring and a lot of sugar to get that chocolate feeling. Here it's an imperial stout, so you have the sweetness inherent in the type of beer. Uh, you don't have to add any sugar, and 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 they take the cacao minerality and not the chocolate cloying sweetness. Uh, for me, it's a perfect way of using cacao in a beer. And, and back to the tasting room. Um, I, I walk in and I'm thinking, I want to have the bar. The bar is the highest expression of pure chocolate. But yet you said you have other things. You have filled chocolate. I was almost shocked to hear about filled chocolate. Tell us what you, how you break down your customers based on their preference and why, why you have also the different t- products you will be having and the challenges. Of, of doing all these? I think what, what I see here, very, when people come to my small uh, factory shop here is, if, if they're 40, 45 years or older, they will buy filled chocolates because filled chocolate is the, is the fine chocolate. It's, it's, the, it's the one you pay extra money for. It's the one you buy for your wife. It's the one you buy for uh, as a gift when you go visit someone. And it has a lot of, um, it's more symbolic than it's actually flavor. And most of the chocolates you can buy in the world, filled chocolates are shitty. You don't, they're just sweet anyway. So we want to do it differently here. But 45 years plus, they will buy anything gift packed and they will buy filled chocolates because that's the fine chocolate. If you have 35 year or younger walking in here, 90% of them will, will buy the bars to share with their friends and eating it themselves. So it's a totally different generational thing where the, the pure chocolate and, and, the, and the dark chocolate, milk chocolates is what they want. Uh, and they have to learn to eat good filled chocolates, whereas the older generations, they need to learn to eat the pure chocolate and, and consider it as just as fine as the filled chocolate. Well, for, for me, I'm, I'm sold on the filled now that I had the smoked whiskey filled. Tell us more about that process, because you're, you're taking us, we see these wonderful bars, the highest expression of, of pure chocolate being the bar. Um, and there's, first of all, there's no secrets. This is something we picked up from the tour, I feel like so many chefs, brewers, different traditions, this idea of a secret. Now, I always think when I'm a chef, if it's a secret, it's because I've figured out a shortcut, a way to make stretch profits, and I don't want anyone else to see that. Well, you know, in my time as a chef, I had different uh, chef cuisines. I learned four ways to salt meat. And they were all the only way you could salt meat, you know. And, and, you know, I like all four and they each have good things and bad things about them. And I think them being the only way. And a lot of people have that. They, they get, they have a recipe and they think it's a recipe that's the secret. The recipe is never the secret. It's, it's the way you work with things. It's your whole approach and your philosophy about working with things that, that matters in the end. Because people who, want, people who think there are shortcuts or want to copy they will miss the entire point of making a high quality product uh, right right off the bat. So, so that's, I'm not really afraid of that. Making the filled chocolates is also about working with the right uh, 
products and the right collaborators. And we're approached by a lot of people with a lot of crazy ideas. And sometimes you just say no. And, and sometimes people come and say, I have this really great product. And usually we have to do a workaround with the whiskey. For example, they came with the whiskey and we like, we really, this is, this is the cherry piece actually, but I'll eat it. Um, when we work the cherry piece or the whiskey piece, the whiskey piece, for example, really nice whiskey. But if we poured the straight bottle we could buy in the shops into into the, the cream inside the chocolate, it would be too weak. So we actually went and and, and had a and had a way of, of shortcutting it. Now we get the cask strength directed from the from from the distillery. And then we have the concentrated whiskey and you know we, we dilute it in a sugar syrup to get it inside the chocolate. And, and this way we can keep the strength up. So when you, you know, when you eat it, you actually get the feeling of a real whiskey. The same with the cherry piece here. It took us a long time to get the cherry flavor inside because we could not just take the cherry wine from our collaborators and pour it inside because there was not enough cherry. It was really great as cherry wine, but not really good as a chocolate filling. So, so we, we get the cherries from these guys and we pickle them. We, they take the pits and put it inside a brandy, which will take flavor from the pits of these cherries. And then we get that brandy, which we put together with the syrup, and we have the, the dried, we dry the, the cherry to a, to a raisin, put it inside all these things and combine it. And then again, I know from having made this now for a couple of years that it's not, it, it, it matters which person makes them. They change it if it's a different person who makes them, because we all have different taste buds. Someone is sweeter, someone more acidity. So it's quite important when you make a product that you actually have, if you cannot standardize it, you have to have the right person making it. <laughs> That's just how it works. And I notice in the factory, some of the positions, I mean, they're all skilled, but it seems that some of them are those people, that they're essential f for that product. Oh, I mean, I would not be able to make any of this if I didn't have a lot of really, really <coughs> fantastic people around me. It's... it's um, I think any business, I mean, if you're on your own, you have two hands, that's the limit. So you need more people and then you need to have people who who want to make the best chocolate. We have it right at our old factory, we had a small sign at the entrance door where it said, remember, you're part of making some of the world's best chocolate. Because I think we should be proud of what we do. Yeah? And, and there is no one who is too little in our production because everybody has a function. And none of this would happen if these functions didn't get filled. Wow, it's amazing. We're off to a great start here. We're going to take a short break and be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Hearst Ranch, in collaboration with Whole Foods Market, is proud to be the presenting sponsor of The Farm Report, a special HRN series in collaboration with the National Young Farmers Coalition. Tune in each week to hear from farmers, policymakers, organizers, and food advocates about all the ways the Farm Bill directly impacts our lives, whether we realize it or not. They'll break down farm policy and talk to young farmers about what hangs in the balance for them as another Farm Bill gets made. Join the coalition to shift power and change policy for the next generation of growers and land stewards. The future of good food depends on it. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. 
Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network. It's our 14th year is almost up. Support us, become a member at Heritage radionetwork.org. I'm in Copenhagen and the surrounding areas uh, doing a few interviews. I'm out here at a very special, um, probably one of the, the best chocolate factories I've ever been in, which is not saying a lot, but when you taste it, you will, at uh, Freeze Home Chocolat. And um, my guest, please reintroduce yourselves. My name is Michael Friesholm, chocolate maker. Anita Plinge, chocolate eater. And Jimmy, chocolate lover <laughs> um so so back to this we're talking about all kinds of things that there's no secrets and uh the industrial revolution but let's go back to time and temp time and temp on your chocolate you know we we have it's also a secret in brewing it is it is a secret that you know everyone's always trying to find the the newest hottest yeast like vike yeast that can speed up the process but then you've got usually it's our, our favorite brewers are taking the time um in some way with their beer so what, what is this the time with with chocolate, why can't we just press a button and have it come out in one hour or four hours? You know, time is always the secret ingredient in good food and good drink. I mean, everybody wants to believe there is a shortcut, shortcut, and I think I think that's a kind of an engineering uh, mistake uh, or an engineer trying to work a product where you always think that there is an optimal product, and I don't think there is an optimal product. I think all my chocolates are always work in progress. They're never really finished or done. We make them as good as we can right now, but if I learned something that could make them better, not faster, better, then I would do it because that's that's why we make chocolate. We don't make chocolate to make it faster. We do it to make it to make it better. And I think that's really again the mindset of the people working with the chocolate is super important. Or be it beer or anything, is is in in the end it's about your taste buds and you you work and you you make mistakes and you taste them and sometimes you learn from your mistakes in a good way sometimes you make a mistake that make your work better <laughs> most of the times you just learn not to do it again and 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 it's it's all about people you know modern process in a in a huge factory making shitty chocolate it takes about three to eight hours from when the bean enters the, the, the fray and, and comes out as a finished packed chocolate. And, and we use seven to eight days. And, and it's not the seven to eight days is not a target that we need to do it. This is just how long it takes for us to make the best possible chocolate with the machinery that we have in the way we want to do it. So, so it's, it's not really anything yeah, special in that sense. And then uh, we'll go back to bean to bar, but... For these pairings and collaborations, you know, there's so many great chefs that you know. I mean, you mentioned Chris Cosentino, a San Francisco chef who we know as a great charcuterie maker. Um, how do you see great chefs or how do you collaborate with great chefs on, on using your products, you know, whether they're bakers or, or working out a pairing course? Some of the funniest chefs to work with are the chefs that 
say, I want to do this dish or this dessert or use the chocolate with these raw, other raw materials, which of your chocolates do you think would be best? And then we sample probably two, three or four chocolates and one of them are always better than the others and then they go with the right chocolate for the dish or the dessert. And I think that's, that's funny because then I touch a little bit of my old um, stuff what I used to do, but also the understanding of working with chocolate in this way and, and chocolate, again, not just being dark chocolate or milk chocolate or something like that. I love it when they come out and they all have a subjective idea about what they like the best. I had a lot of chefs last Monday and they have chosen to work with the chocolate and then no other restaurant works with because they really liked it. And I love that because that, that really, that is, this is their choice. They, this is the one we can do a lot of good stuff with. I love it. And, and, but it's never been one of the ones that other chefs liked. Um, so there's, there's always difference. And I think that's why I, I, what do I make 20 different dark chocolates and, and, and five, three milks and, and a white, uh, you know, it's, it's, there is, there are so many possibilities out there. It's, it, People saying, yeah, I just want a dark chocolate. That's saying, like, I want a red wine. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's really, it doesn't really say a lot. And I love it when people respect the raw material possibilities. You know, as I said earlier, a potato is not just a potato. A beer is not just a beer. There's variety, and you need to understand that variety when you work with a professional. And I love that. I think, I think that's fun. Nina, when, when he was talking about the different types of, of chocolate experience, whether it's a bar or, or confection um, for you. And you, I know you're a, not a chef, but you have cookbooks and you've done a lot with food and that's why I'm here today. Thank you. But what, what are some of your experiences with, with a good chocolate like this or how would you serve it? Or, you know, we had a meal the other night at your home with, with Lowland, uh, just mostly vegetables and, and a little meat. Would you have put one of these chocolates in there? Might have if we had um, yeah, yeah, a deer, a deer yeah. in a more strong uh, sauce, then I I would flavor it with uh, with a good dark chocolate. I often do that. So I don't bake a lot <laughs> because I'm more for the savory. But um, I I might uh, serve a piece of chocolate for for the cup of coffee. After the meal, yeah. yeah, that that would be traditional where chocolate is normally enjoyed. It is after a meal. I mean, we're all in the chocolate business, is searching for more possibilities to get people to eat their chocolate. And I know, I think if if you look out in the world, when do people eat most chocolate? It's actually done after coffee with coffee after a meal. It's at three o'clock in the afternoon when they're totally that's right. Uh, the, uh, Tired, they just need the sugar hit to to to, to get right. get get I running. I must admit that yeah. most of your chocolate I enjoy when I'm at home in the afternoon yep. and I'm tired and my feet up looking at Netflix or something. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's where it goes. Yeah, yeah. maybe a, a few collaborations that you'd like to mention. We've got it. We're actually in a working factory. There's some great noise back there and everything. What, 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 name out a couple of collaborations that, that you've done or a few chefs that are working with your products. Uh, I mean, here in Copenhagen, we have, we have uh, geranium sometimes. We've sold it to Normal Alchemist and we sell to Alouette and we sell to Bobek and, and we have the Juno Bakery, Mirabelle, Coffee Collective is a, is a great collaborator in, in, in some of the stuff we do. And, and, and I, I should mention more and I'll uh, 
Thankfully, it's just airing in New York and not here in Copenhagen, so it'll be out. And a lot of fun people. Connection with Alan Bates is one of the great people working with. I've talked with Henneke Bikor and Paul Cunningham. Good people working with great products. And it's it's fun working with these guys because you can just say they're like they're happy. And chocolate is not just a chocolate. See, it's it's really, I think it's important for me too that 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 that, that people suddenly find out that it's not just this sweet bitter thingy but something they can work with not not just in in the bakery but the savory side as well or or just on its own uh, i think that's chocolate hasn't been able to do that before and I, I think it's fun being part of a way where we can actually get people to experience chocolate in a different way yeah th this is completely not what i expected because i knew that you were like the chocolate genius you know chef working hands-on with this i really thought i'd come here it would be you with maybe one assistant but but there's there's quite a few people working here and i know you're even struggling with with bringing in new equipment and, and integrating that um just give us a little overview of the challenges you're facing just to make this all work well you know running a, a factory because this is a factory it's as you know the willy wonka story uh uh charlie's chocolate factory is, is sometimes a lot closer to apart from the magic realism a lot closer to the reality <laughs> than than people think there are a lot of machines doing work on each part of uh, in each part of the process and and running machines machines break down chocolate is this really temperamental product that does not like heat it does not like cold it's not it does not like humidity so actually working with chocolate in a in a normal kitchen is really shitty <laughs> because you have all these these challenges here but here we work a lot of with, with the ambience uh, ambient environment with you know humidity of the air temperatures it's all about temperature fats machines working the right way using the exact pressure that we need and 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 you know it's 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 alchemy in a way and, and I think that's a fun fun part of it and and I know for most people who look at it from the outside it, it's kind of magical because what's really happening inside that machine that's humming over there or that one's really noisy what is that doing and this one you have huge things going back and forth and you can see it and it looks kind of like something from a strange movie and and, and, and uh, chocolate has all these kind of crazy things inside it being something that we really enjoy and have kind of this idea about this chef holding a ladle of chocolate dripping into a bowl and and you think it no one really knows how it came to that stage where he was able to do that and 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 it's a gritty thing you know having a chocolate factory is more like having a mill where you where you you get in the grain you have to work it the right way to get the right flour and 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 and, and making that raw material that people can make into bread something like that but that's part of making chocolate is is taking that bean and, and working it the right way so it becomes chocolate that can be not just eaten but also used in, in other products i think that's that's one part of chocolate the other part of chocolate is the red wine or beer kind of side of it where you can eat it on its own enjoy it for its own for its own flavors which is a bean to bar movement is where you see this at its fullest where you taste chocolate from a specific place and specific beans made by specific people in a specific way and and they had like wine or beer it, it's different and, and that's a fun part of it and then chocolate is also fun it's, it's desserts it's filled chocolates with sweet stuff inside it's candy 
it's it's something that we 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 have for fun or for enjoyment and and because our brain likes sugar and, and so, so so it's, it's kind of really this mixed up product some would say it's it's a little bit um chaotic but but i think it's 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 all part of the same uh, thing. and one thing miguel the whole time he's smiling and uh, netta you had a quick question before well it's back to the uh, the pairing or does anybody uh, um, combine chocolate and cheese? Oh, I've done it numerous times. I think it's it, it, it quite funny. And you, you can do it when you have a chocolate that's pure tasting. Yeah. And also when I make chocolate, I don't add vanilla. And a vanilla would immediately take it yeah. into dessert territory. But when you have the cacao on its own, you have all the minerality and the flavor of cacao which like a wine or anything would lend itself to a good cheese. And also you could say, what well, some one of my claims to fame is also, you know, making chocolate from single varietal cacaos. Yeah. No one had done that before. I did it. This is, I didn't know at the time. But now when I know whole, the whole chocolate world and can look back and say, no, I had any idea that this was even possible. In the beginning, people were writing, yeah, it's just marketing. He's just being smart. Yeah. And they, did, they didn't know it's not possible. Most cacao plantation is a huge mix of different genetics just growing all over the place and, and having small bitter apples alongside big sweet apples and f apples for cooking and apples for pressing for cider. That's the normal chocolate world. And, and, and one of my missions in this is also saying, hey, if we work with this more consistently and know what we're putting into our chocolate, we can also work with all the parameters in creating the chocolate the way we want. And then most importantly, do it again. Because if we just happen to be lucky one time, then it's not craft, then it's just luck. Mm -hmm. You know the fun. The fun part is actually when you know what mm -hmm. makes it go where it goes, and you can do it pretty much again inside the natural products mm -hmm. possibilities. I think that's that's the fun part. Being a craftsperson, I mean, I usually use the analogy of a of a carpenter making six chairs, and they're all wobbly, and he and he, and he but he just say, but they're all unique. So I think we're in an age where unique is is sometimes being presented as 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 better than actually working <laughs> you know i think things there's craft is also knowing what you're doing yeah back back to this nicaragua project because you're talking about from bean to bar starting with the beans tell us way back when you worked on a project in nicaragua just a little overview so we understand just how complex this is like getting a farmer to grow a new variety of grain but that they there's no system in place. Back in 2007, I was contacted, or I worked together with Schaffenberger Chocolate in, in the United States, and they said they knew this Danish guy who was doing a project in Nicaragua they were part of, um, but he needed a Danish partner for it, and I, I, I jumped at it. And then and, and during this project, we created six new uh, clones, six new genetics where we grafted uh, genetics and, and made, like you have apple trees, one variety. And we had more than 300 farmers plant this cacao out in different small plantations. But also in that process, the Nicaraguan company creating like the, the, the dairy to the, the milk cow farmer. So they would, so we collect, I say we, I feel ownership, but it's a Nicaraguan company. They collect the, the, the wet mass, the beans from the farmer on the day they harvest and take it directly into boxes for fermentation and then transport the boxes into a centralized location where they have all the know-how and the and, 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 and educated people to control, you know, everything from pH to temperature and how the process is running and mix it at the right time 
Uh, and this is not possible for the small farmers. 95% of the world's farmers have less than five hectares, and you will never be able to do consistent cacao fermentation if you have less than 10, 20 hectares. So, so this is not possible for the small farmers. You have to create the logistics that give you the consistent product, and this is what we created in Nicaragua, and this is what I work with today uh, to make my chocolate. And then the last part is, and you know, everyone talks about the welfare of, of the farmers. In reality, what, 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 what is your program doing? In reality, the farmers will get three to four times more than they would get from a local buyer in, 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 in Nicaragua. Uh, the farmers have contracts. They're promised 25% above world market price as a minimum. Uh, and, and this is three to four times more than they will get from a local buyer also called coyotes, uh, because they pay low prices. So so I would never be able to make a high-quality product on the backs of, of, of poor farmers. I need them to, to grow and harvest in a specific way to make the quality I make today. So I'm just as dependent on them for making my quality as they are dependent on getting a decent pay for what they do. So you could say I, I have uh, things I want them to do, but I also compensate them so they can actually take themselves out of poverty. The Nicaraguan ambassador here in Scandinavia said that these 300 plus farmers all went from poverty into lower middle class just because of this project. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of, of being part of that. And I don't want to save the world. I want to make the world's best chocolate. But to make the world's best chocolate, you need to have people that you can collaborate collaborate on an equal term with in, 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 in every phase. And I could not do it without these farmers doing their job. Well, thank you. That's as deep as we'll go into that one, but it, it's it's nice to know a little more about it. We've heard about fair trade and other things, and uh, I'm, I'm always confused by by those terms. So th thanks for talking a little bit more about how you're going from Bean to Bar and to the top chefs. And I'm going to leave with a whole bunch of chocolate. Um, I'm very thankfully across the street from this great brewery, uh, Herzlei Brugis. So we are talking about beer as well. And thanks for telling us about the nibs and their Imperial Stout. Um, Neda, thank you so much for this wonderful tour and introduction to Copenhagen and beyond. And, and Miguel, um, learning how to pronounce your name yeah. and having a great time in here in, in Copenhagen, which maybe we'll call New York East. Yeah. Okay, thanks so much. And Armin Spengen, our engineer, Jimmy Carboni, thanks so much. Uh, beer Sessions Radio, we'll catch you next time. All right, thank you so much. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.